Today marks the first in a series of four messages where we're going to be talking about this topic of identity. And um, this is one of the major issues of the day. And, and this is not just, you know, here at Seeds Church, not just here in Middle Tennessee, but across the world, all across the spectrum of society, there's these, this conversation, these discussions that are happening around identity. And, and we think it's, it's uh, you know, about all these different kinds of, of ways that how people are identifying. We're going to get into that a little bit more. But if we can all agree probably on this, as we take a step back and we look at the larger picture of this issue, we probably could agree that a lot of people in today's culture, a lot of people in our world today, they are in the middle of a serious identity crisis. And this, this identity crisis, it manifests in different ways. It manifests in confusion. It manifests in insecurity and frustration. It even manifests uh, in new phobias that are emerging. Have you guys ever heard of FOMO? Okay, some people have. I, you know, it's funny because um, while we were doing our family camping, camping this week, we just ended up at my grandparents' house with, uh, with 17 of my family members, uh, which is a lot for a small, small house built in the 60s with only two bathrooms. But... Um, someone, one of the family members, I heard out of my, the corner of my ear, like they said something about FOMO. And I'm like, yeah, that's the fear of missing out. You know, it, it, so many of us today, it's very common for us to spend a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of focus right here. And what are we doing? We're scrolling through our social media feeds. We're scrolling through Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And we're seeing all these things that our friends are doing. And because we don't want to miss out, and so we're spending so much time here. I even remember one time a few years ago, probably about six years ago, I was scrolling through uh, Instagram, and I saw a picture of a bunch of my friends at the same place together, having a good time. And I thought to myself, well, why am I not there? <laughs> How did I not get invited to this? Why? And, I, and it, all of a sudden, this it, terrible like feeling came on me, and this simple little picture in my Instagram feed began to make me feel emotionally insecure. And I had this fear of missing out. And, I had this, and I'm like, wow, this is incredibly unhealthy that this picture has that much control over me. And this was actually right before the very first Lent that I was going to observe. And so I felt at that moment, I felt like the Holy Spirit was just resonating within me. Guess what? Guess what you're going to fast over Lent? And actually, instead of waiting till Ash Wednesday started, I just went ahead and jumped in, like uh, just about 10 days before Lent started. And so I did a 50-day fast of, of social media, and it was so cleansing. It, was, it felt so good. I didn't even really mean to t tell you all about that, but we, we have this, this thing where all this time and energy and focus is in, in our social media, and so all this media that we're consuming is beginning to shape us and it, it shapes the way that we see ourselves. It shapes the way that we see others. It shapes the way that we see how we fit into this world around us. And it's having a huge impact on us as individuals, which then trickles down into our family life. And it affects our work life. And it affects school life. And it affects every single other area of society that we're involved in. Psychologists are telling us that, that this kind of thing is even rewiring our brains, the way that we think. 
That our identity, the way that we see ourselves, has an effect on our moods. It has an effect on our serotonin releases. Our identity has an effect on us psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, and even eventually physically. There's so many great things about technology, but there's so many other things that there's, there's pitfalls that we've got to look out for. Some ramifications if we don't look out for those pitfalls. Because so many people are now having to battle insecurity and fear. And if it's left unchecked, these insecurities and these fears have the ability to define us and shape us and then really distort us. Distort us from who God has called us to be and what he's created us to do. You see, one of the enemy's greatest tactics against mankind is to deceive our hearts and minds to keep us removed from our God-given identity and keep us isolated from truth. And this leads to frustration, and it leads to depression, and it leads to us settling for less than God's best for our lives. And if Satan can trick us into believe and to us believing something other than God's identity for us, if he can keep us from understanding who we are, then we will never accomplish all the things that God created us to do. So when we don't have a proper sense of identity in Christ, we put on masks to portray ourselves in different ways. We put on masks to portray ourselves in the way that we think people want us to be or in what they expect us to be. And I'm not talking, of course, about a literal mask. I'm not talking about running around with a Batman cowl on. Although my son, at one time, I did have him convinced that I was Batman. It was pretty awesome. <laughs> he was about five years old, and <laughs> I would order these things through Amazon, like little batarangs would show up in the mail. Anyway, I'm not talking about that. <laughs> Another time. I'll have to figure out an illustration for that sometime, but just so I can tell that story. Um, but... We're talking about a persona. We put on a persona. We put on a character. We, we don't reveal fully to our friends and family and the society around us. We don't reveal fully who we are, what's going on with us. Or we completely adopt or assume the identity of one of these masks altogether. And, and then we're just altogether somebody different. We're not even a semblance of ourselves. And, and it can become so predominant in our lives that we lose sight of who we really are because we start believing our own press. Well, another way I like to say it is we believe our own hype. You know, I heard someone say this once, and you know, you hear people say things once, and then you start, you quote them, and you say, well, so-and-so always said this, and then after a period of time, it's like, yeah, I used to hear someone, someone used to say this, and then I, after more time passes, it's like, I've always said, <laughs> I've always said, don't believe your own hype. Don't believe your own hype. And that's not the same as don't believe your identity in Christ, but your own hype is your own self-promotion. It's, it's this persona, this mask that you are fronting with, this assumed identity. Don't believe your own press. Don't believe your own hype. One of the reasons we wear masks, though, is because every single one of us has this deep longing and need to belong. We, it's like one of the very basic human needs is to feel loved and accepted and we f we fear that if we really show our real self if we really show our you know what our identity is then people will not love and accept us and we won't have a place to belong and we may not think that subconsciously we may not connect all those dots 
or, or, or we may not think it all consciously, but in our subconscious, this is kind of playing in the background. And then we end up living a life that we were never created to live. It is possible for you to live an assumed identity and never tap in to your God-given identity. Here's the digression that we see. Satan attacks us at the very core of our being, and that is our identity. It's our God-given identity. We then begin to leave, uh, believe those lies, and then so when we assume uh, the identity of, of something false or we're unsure about our identity, of who God created us to be, we then put on these masks. And so then we wear these masks to hide our insecurity, and then behind those masks... Insecurity and fear begins to fester like a growing bacteria. And then the, the masks keep us from experiencing meaningful relationships, our meaningful relationship with God and meaningful relationships with others. And then life without relationships, what is, what is life without relationships? It's meaningless. It's empty. It's hollow. It's nothing. I'm not saying you've got to be best friends with everybody. But God created us all. It's in, hardwired into our DNA. A need to be in relationship. But if we're wearing these masks all the time, and if we're not walking in our God-given identity, then we're missing out on one of the most life-giving things that God created. And that's relationship with Him and a relationship with each other. So what we need to do is we need to ditch the masks. We need to walk toward being genuine. We need to walk toward being authentic. And we need to walk toward being confident in our identity in Christ. The, the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus a lot about this issue of identity. And, and what I think we need to be reminded of sometimes is that this book right here, the, the Bible, is uh, not a self-help book. It, this is not just a book full of like really great moral life lessons. This is the Word of God. This contains the Word of God. These are the Holy Scriptures. The, the authors who wrote this book were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write down the, these accounts and these songs and these proverbs and these prayers and these revelations. And then, over time, the Holy Spirit inspired several councils to canonize these into the Old Testament and the New Testament into what we now know as the Holy Bible. And so, we need to remember that this is, we're not, well, we're just going to see what kind of good little lesson I can learn today from here. Listen, that's okay, but understand when we pick this up, this is, this is God showing us our identity in Him through Jesus Christ. And so let's look here and see what Paul says to the church in Ephesus about some of these issues of identity. In Ephesians chapter 1, the very beginning of this letter, verse 3, it says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. 
So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. Now, in that, those three verses, we see eight identity statements. Eight statements of identity in Christ. And so here's what I want us to do. We're going we're gonna to look at these statements right here. So the very first statement that we come to here in, this, in, this, in verse 3, it says this. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. That's your identity. This belongs to you. If you are in Christ, if you are a follower of Christ, if you are born again, if you, if you are sanctified, saved, and redeemed, come on now, um, then this is who you are. This belongs to you. This is what you can claim over your own life. This is what you identify with. I am blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Number one. Number two, we are united in Christ. You are united with Christ. Like Sometimes I feel like God's so far away. Listen, that's why you can't go on your feelings all the time. You have to go with what we know is true from the word of God, and that's it. You're united with Christ. You are, in, in verse 4, you are loved by God and you are chosen by God. That's your identity. You're loved and you're chosen. And then also, you're holy and without fault in His eyes. You know what? Your, your friends, your family, your coworkers may be doing a really good job of reminding you of all your faults. But when the Lord sees you, He says, no, you're holy and you're without fault in my eyes. Because you do everything right? No, because of Christ. Next one, verse 5, next identity statement. You're adopted into his own family. You're his child. You're his son. You're his daughter. You're in the family. And the last one here, glorious grace has been poured out on you. And uh, this one right here, you belong to Jesus. You belong to Jesus. You belong to his dear son. These statements are your identity. They belong to you. And it's not just you know, these three verses out of the entire scripture are your identity. There's so much more. But we're highlighting these here for you to get this foundation of who you are in Christ. Verse 18, if we skip down to Ephesians 1.18, Paul says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. And then he tells us what the hope of his calling is. The hope of his calling are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Who are the saints? We are. We're not talking about some football team in New Orleans. We're not just talking about all these people that we've made into stained glass that you see in Catholic churches. Wonderful. I'm glad that, you know, I love football and I love stained glass. And, and, I, and I think it's a wonderful thing to give honor where honor is due and say, hey, look at these people and look what they've done for Jesus. That's awesome. But that's not just the saints. You and I are the saints. And we are the hope of his calling. It's why he did what he did. In the world we live in, you guys, we see identity as a matter of all different kinds of things to choose from. We think identity is like, well, um, I'm, I like this, so I'm going to be this, or I'm going to be that, or I'm going to be a combination of those two things together, or I'm going to be something different from this, that, or the other. We, we think we, there's all these different choices. It's, it's like a plate that you get when you go to the cafeteria line. And you're going through the line here, and the lunch lady's got her big old ladle, and yeah, I'll take some of that. You know, you're, maybe you're at Arnold's, and you're eating meat and three. Yeah, give me some of those collard greens, and yeah, I like that mac and cheese. And No, I don't, I don't really want any of those uh, 
baked beans today, they'll tear me up. Um, but you know what I love? I love that fried chicken. Give me two helpings of that fried chicken. And we think it's this, this thing that where we can, we can pick and choose from. But in heaven's perspective, it's not like that. In heaven's perspective, identity is binary, meaning it's just either one or the other. you got two options. From heaven's perspective, you're either a sinner or you're a saint. That's it. You're either a sinner or you're a saint. A sinner is this. A sinner is someone who's simply just far from God. And they're living with these ramifications of their fallen and sinful nature and condition. And they're blindly working their way through life, experiencing resistance in this world that's, that's experienced fallout. That's what a sinner is. Now, a saint, that's someone that Jesus has saved. That's someone that Jesus has redeemed. That's someone that Jesus has set free from the law of sin and death. Not by their works, but by his grace, made possible to us by the virgin birth, his perfect life, his selfless death, and his glorious resurrection. That's who a saint is. And when we decide to put our hope and our trust for all of our life into Jesus, then then darkness no longer has authority over us. Paul wrote this to the, to the, uh, in Colossians chapter 1. He said this, he says, You have been transferred out from the authority, out from the kingdom of darkness, and now you have been placed into the kingdom of the dear son of whom he loves. Remember, because you belong to Jesus. You have shaken off this old identity. You no longer identify with that. And now you identify as this. You're no longer a citizen of the kingdom of darkness. You're now a citizen of the kingdom of Jesus. And there's nothing in the middle. You just go from being sinner to saint. There's no, there's no half Christian. There's no like sinner-saint hybrid in the kingdom of God. You know, hybrids are really good for saving on gas mileage. You know, uh, my friend Robert, who, uh, Robert and Kelly just had a baby a couple of weeks ago, two, three weeks ago, and, and so we've been missing them here at church, but I went over to see him uh, this week and, and love on them and see the baby, and they're, they're doing wonderful. It's, and that's, I can't wait to share with you guys a God story there about their baby girl, Evie. It's going to be awesome. Can't wait. But, um, but Robert drives one of those uh, Toyota Priuses. It's a hybrid. One time he let me borrow it because I had to run some errands. And we were, I was like, man, can I, can I just hop in your car and run down to Walmart? Sure, no problem. And I'm like, how do you drive this thing? And, you know, again, hybrids are really great for saving on gas mileage. You know what they're not good for? Power. <laughs> they're not good for torque or force, or towing, you know? And, you know, if you've been around church, or if you've been around Christians for any good amount of time, you probably have heard something said like this. Well, it's a hybrid statement. Well, I'm just a sinner, saved by grace. And, you know what? That sounds really nice. It kind of rolls off the tongue very comfortably. I even really like the alliteration of it. I mean, I like... I'm, you know, I love language, and so I really like, you know, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Yeah, it sounds really good. It sounds, it sounds right. But you know what? It's really bad theology. It is really 
poor theology. That statement is, and some of you are like, wait a second, my grandma's been saying that for 80 years, and my grandma loves Jesus, and she's in church every single Sunday. Listen, I, look, Jesus loves your grandma. I, I probably will love your grandma, especially if she made me some pie. But, <coughs> but listen, not everything grandma says is right. Just ask your mama. And It's, poor, it's not biblical theology. I appreciate the sentiment. I know it's well-meaning, but it's not biblical theology. Because if you're a sinner, that means you're not yet saved. It means you're not yet redeemed. It means you're not yet set free. A more accurate statement would be, is I was a sinner, and now I'm saved by grace. The sinner is my old identity, but I stepped out of that into my new identity in Christ Jesus, and I no longer identify as a sinner. This is the way Paul wrote it, Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to read uh, several verses here, and as we do this, I want to point out to you some past tense and present tense statements. That, that this, and this is biblical theology, right, because it's in the Bible. So, Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says, once you were, which is a past tense statement. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin, past tense, verse 3. And all of us used to live that way, past tense, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our old sinful nature. By our very nature, we were, past tense, subject to God's anger. Verse 4, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were, past tense, we were dead, because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Present tense. Right now. That's who we are. That's what our position is now. That's my identity. Verse 8. God saved you by his grace when you believed. Another present tense statement. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. Once you're in Christ, your identity has changed. You're no longer a sinner, and now you're a saint. But if you see yourself as just a sinner saved by grace, then your view of God is, is reduced. Your view of his power is reduced. You're viewing God like, well, he just erases all of our sins from the past and says, do better next time. And then a little bit later, you've got to stop and let God come and clean the wake behind you and do it all over again. But every so, and so nothing really changes on the inside of us. We just have this divine eraser to cover up our mistakes, and there's no expectation of change. There's no expectation of transformation. What we need to get a revelation of is that God's idea of redemption isn't just a giant eraser. And that is, that is part of it. There is forgiveness for our sins. Thank you, Jesus, for that. But God's idea of grace, his idea of redemption, is that there is complete transformation, change from the inside out, the change of our nature, the change of our character, which has an impact on our present reality and our future. But J.D., I still struggle with sin. 
I still struggle with lust. I still struggle with addiction. I still struggle with, with impatience. I still struggle with lying. I still struggle with flying off the handle in, in anger really easily. So I guess I am just a sinner saved by grace. Listen, living your life identifying as I'm just a sinner saved by grace will never, never take you to the place of freedom and restoration. It'll, yes, you're forgiven. Yes, I believe that uh, God loves you. Yes, I believe his forgiveness is available to you. Yes, I believe that heaven belongs to you. But again, we, we come back to this foundational prayer that Jesus tells us to pray all the time in Matthew chapter 6. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Meaning God has a plan of transformation and change for the earth. And he does it through his people. That's how he brings it to earth. From the Holy Spirit working in us and through us. It's like the overweight guy that wants to get healthy. But he just keeps identifying as being a fat person. No one ever lost 50 pounds by just repeatedly declaring over themselves, I'm fat, I'm fat, I'm fat. Don't eat donuts, don't eat donuts, don't eat donuts. What are you thinking about right now? You're thinking about a fat guy eating donuts. Right? Listen, the person that wants to be healthy, they get a vision, they get a vision of what their life would be like if they dropped that weight or if they did whatever it is they needed to do to get healthy. And then they start identifying as a healthy person. And then that picture of health becomes their identity and they find themselves eating a little bit differently. They find themselves when they're out to lunch with their work buddies, they're ordering differently. They find themselves getting up off the couch instead of spending time or instead of spending time on the couch, they're getting out and going for a walk. They find themselves in the gym three or four times a week because they're identified, I'm a healthy person, and this is what healthy people do. But it starts with not just the action, it starts with what they decide to identify with. Some people say, well, things like, well, I'm trying to be a good Christian. I'm good, I'm glad. But you know what? Here's I, wanted, I want to give you some truth here. There's no such thing as a good Christian or a bad Christian. There's just Christian or not. <laughs> and you're like, well, how do I know if I am one? Um, what do apple trees produce? Apple trees produce apples. Orange trees produce banana trees produce pineapple trees produce there's no pineapple tree. They don't grow on trees. But <laughs> Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 7. He said, you will know them by their fruits. And so having your identity rooted in sin only keeps you there. Listen, you can evaluate your identity where your identity is rooted by looking at the fruit. Roots determine fruit. I told you I like alliteration. So I did some, I did some rhyming, and I want to share it with you. 
I am prepared for you all to laugh at me. But I want you to receive the truth of this, okay? Some of you might really like it. You're like, I thought that was awesome. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you in advance. Listen, if sin is the soil where your identity takes root, then all you can expect is sour fruit. Thank you for the pity clap. Appreciate that. I'm going to say it again and let it, let it sink down. If sin is the soil where your identity takes root, then all you can expect is sour fruit. But if Christ is the soil where your identity takes root, then get ready to taste some delicious fruit. Listen. Have you guys ever heard of the name Timothy Henry Gray? Timothy Henry Gray. Uh, This is a guy who was one of the heirs, one of the descendants, who was supposed to inherit uh, a portion of inheritance from the Huguette Clark fortune of $300 million. And Mr. Gray was uh, set to receive uh, an inheritance of $19 million himself. And so, uh, Miss uh, Miss Clark passed away in 2011, and so the um, the people who are you know executing her will are out looking for family uh, to distribute these funds to, and they can't find Mr. Gray anywhere because he had lost touch with most of the family, well, really with all of the family over many years, and so there's this basically this manhunt for a period of time where he's, they're searching for this guy to let him know, hey, buddy, you're a multimillionaire. Well, about a year and a half later after she passed away, in December of 2012, they finally found Mr. Gray. And he was found dead under a railroad overpass in rural Wyoming because he was living as a homeless person. And so you, you got Timothy... Henry Gray frozen to death because he didn't have adequate resources to provide himself with proper shelter or clothing. He thought. That's what he thought. He didn't think he had the adequate resources to provide himself with adequate shelter or clothing. On paper, he was a multimillionaire, but in practicalities, he was living as a pauper. Because you, you can only spend the money that you know that you have. On paper, we've got this incredible identity in Christ. On paper, we've got these incredible promises of God that belong to us that is our inheritance. But the question is, is do you know who you are? The question is, do you know what your inheritance is? Do you know what's available to you? Because I think many of us are living like we're spiritually homeless and we're suffering because of it. You know, you've heard it said that, you know, what you don't know won't hurt you. You know, my daughter just was having a discussion at school this week on the topic of is ignorance bliss and is knowledge a burden? Great. I love that conversation. I love I love that they have these conversations in the classroom. Um, and, and so there, we've all heard, heard that said, right? What you don't know won't hurt you. But Hosea chapter 4 
verse 6, the prophet Hosea says, My people perish for the lack of knowledge. So the truth is, what you don't know can destroy you. If the enemy can't keep you from knowing Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then his second best effort is to keep you from walking in the destiny and the calling that God has planned for your life. And he does that through deception and through disillusion that you aren't anything special. But if you're in Christ, you have an incredible inheritance. Your identity is that you're blessed with every spiritual blessing. Your identity is that you're united with Christ. Your identity is that you're loved by God, that you're chosen by God, that you're holy, that you're without fault in His eyes, that you're adopted into God's family, that you're a product of God's glorious grace, and that you are a saint. That's your identity. If you're here today and you're a sinner, i got some great news for you. Today you can become a saint. And if you're here today and you're a saint, i got some great news for you too. Your identity is not rooted in that old life. That's not what you identify with. That's not your inheritance. You're, de- you're defined by who God says you are in Christ. It's time to stop letting the enemy make hybrids out of us. If you're a Christian, you need to know that your identity doesn't change from day to day. It's not, it's not based on your performance today, if you did good or bad. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. So what we need to do is we need to renew our minds to change the way that we think and feel. We need to become informed by our inheritance so that we don't freeze underneath an overpass of life. We need to submit ourselves to the work of the Holy Spirit and allow Holy Spirit to break down that old identity that we, some of us have been holding on to and fully walk in the new identity that Jesus has for us in Christ. So I want to especially encourage you this this week. This, we, we read quite a bit today, or a little bit, out of the book of Ephesians. I want to encourage you this week to dig in to Ephesians chapter 1 this week. I challenge you to start every day this week with those 23 verses in Ephesians chapter 1. And then you just go to God and you say, Holy Spirit, would you just wash me with your word? Help me see myself the way that you see me. Help me walk in a way that, that, that lines up with your identity for me. And, and God, if, if I mess up, help me not revert back into that identity, but help me just say, well, okay, well, thank you, God, I'm forgiven. I'm just going to walk in my identity, my new identity. That's not who I am. I know I struggled with that. I know I messed up in that, but that's not who I am. Who I am is in Christ. I'm united with him. Do that this week. Ephesians chapter 1. It'd take you like five minutes, maybe. If you're a slow reader like me, it'd take you five minutes. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you've never declared Jesus as the Lord of your life, I want to give you an opportunity to make that decision today. Uh, I want to give you the chance to walk across the threshold onto the path of following Christ, walking out of that old identity and now embracing your new identity. So, 
I just want to let you know there's nothing that you can do to earn it. There's nothing that you can do to deserve it. The thing that you do is humble yourself and go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God. And I declare you as the Lord of my life. And that's how you start. And if you would like me to pray with you today, I just want to invite you to do that. Everybody, just let's pray right now. Holy Spirit, we just ask you right now to just draw our heart to the Father's heart right now. To Father God's heart. Everyone just pray this out loud with me. Say, Jesus, I declare today that because of you, because of your death on the cross, because of your resurrection from the dead, I declare you are Lord. You are the Son of God. Come into my life and renovate it. Breathe life into me. Thank you for forgiving me of all my sin. I turn my back on my past. I belong to you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Teach me how to live like a child of God. Thank you for giving me a destiny. Help me fulfill it. Amen.